0: Hi, you're listening to Becoming Whole podcast with Claire Bradshaw, where I explore with my guests what it means to lean into living a life of wholeness and connectedness. A life where all parts of ourselves, our body, mind, and spirit come into alignment, where we're truly living into our own personal values. So if you're a seeker, a feeler, or someone wanting more from your precious life, then tune in every fortnight and let's get inspired together. Welcome to another episode of Becoming Whole podcast with Claire Bradshaw. Uh, today I have a beautiful person that I'm interviewing on the podcast. Her name is Jo Buick. If you're a Melbourne yogi, you'll probably know of Jo. Um, I first met um, oh about a year ago, actually. Um, I've been following her on Instagram and just absolutely fell in love with her posts and her overall vibe. Um, And then since then, I've been to some of her workshops and her yoga classes and absolutely love what she's um, bringing into the world. So just a little bit about Jo. She's currently based between the Victorian Surf Coast and Melbourne, and she facilitates yoga classes, teacher trainings, workshops and immersions. Her work focuses on self-care, slow rituals and trauma-informed mindfulness practices. She's also the co-founder of State of Being, a community-based yoga and mindfulness not-for-profit organization. And through State of Being, Jo works directly with community organizations to innovate um, trauma-informed and inclusive yoga programs for clients and staff groups. Um, She's also worked in the community and state school settings as a teacher, an educator, and a coach. Um, an innovator of trauma-informed and applied curriculum and program design. Um, She's also worked in the not-for-profit sector, developing local, state and national educational approaches and strategies. So, as you can probably tell, she has many talents. She's got um, an incredible um, background and experience. And she's also um, studied um, a lot and continues with her studies um, in trauma sensitive yoga and also a Master of Education at the University of Melbourne. So, welcome to the podcast, Joe. Great to have you here. Hi, Claire. It's such yeah. a long bio. Thank you for reading it for me. <laughs> no, it's very comprehensive and you've been, you, you do lots of amazing things. So it's, it's great to um, share that with everyone. And before we start the podcast today, um, when I popped onto your website, there's a beautiful quote there from the Lao Tzu, the Tao Te Ching. And I wanted to read it out for everyone. Simplicity, patience, compassion. These three are your greatest treasures. Simple in actions and thoughts, you return to the source of being. Patient with both friends and enemies, you accord with the way things are. Compassionate towards yourself, you reconcile all beings in the world. Such a beautiful quote. Yeah. Can you, can you um, tell the uh, listeners what that really means to you? Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I love Lau's work and I find that there is this... Uh, Simplicity in the language, but also this depth, and that there's great capacity, perhaps, to meditate on the words within the Ching And I've particularly like this statement or that phrase, because it emphasizes these three qualities that, I think, get underplayed perhaps, in our worlds more generally, which the first one is simplicity. And there's so much about our lives that are complicated. Um, The second one being patience, and I think there's so much about our world that encourages us to move quickly and to move forward and to achieve and and always be progressing towards something. And finally, compassion. I mean, this is something I think that's becoming more commonplace as a practice and and even as a word, but if we think outside of the yoga studios and, and even into our own personal thoughts and our own personal lives, I think that compassion is potentially one of the biggest healers that we have access to but maybe also one of the most complicated ones to access so i like this kind of gentle encouragement to start meditating on these qualities and Mm. the idea that they might be treasures which feels quite
0: special oh i love that word treasures yeah so nice nice. yeah Yeah. thank you for explaining that so lovely (laughs) Um, So tell me, so you've done, you know, in terms of your career and what you're sort of, you know, bringing into the world and how you're sharing that with many people. um, Tell me sort of what has led you to where you are currently? Mm -hmm.
1: I don't think I ever really had a trajectory in mind, but I think that maybe what's been my main driver um, for a long time is social change and social justice and Um, for many years that was as a school teacher working in community settings and I always worked with kids who are outside of the mainstream school system Um, and then it was working in social justice and social policy for a while Um, and then I started thinking about potentially the role of the body and an understanding of our own physical selves um, through a social justice framework and I think because yoga had been so powerful for me in my own personal life and had enabled me to move closer to some of those qualities like simplicity and patience and compassion. Um, I was interested in how those things might be available to and maybe useful to people who don't have access to the same kinds of services that I do, like mainstream yoga classes. So I think that's probably been a bit of a theme throughout is this idea of who has access to what, um, who's included in what we're offering, and is there a way to broaden that access and broaden that inclusion so that everyone can reap the benefits of these kinds of practices?
0: Mm, beautiful, really nice. And so tell me, so when, when did you do your yoga teacher training and sort of what, what were the pinnacle moments in your life that led you to yoga to start practicing it? And then, what was the decision that you made then to um, to start uh, teaching yoga? Like, what was what was um, you know the the, the background to, to to leading you to that place?
1: Mm. Um, I think, like many people, and I, I feel like often when I talk to other yoga teachers or people who are contemplating yoga teaching, it. It's rarely with the desire to teach straight away. It's often that there's this deep interest in and a feeling of personal growth through the practice. And that leads us to want to learn more. And the current sort of framework for learning more is yoga teacher training. And I was definitely part of that crew. That's my story as well. Um, And so I really, I really wanted to learn more about the practice. And I was also interested in integrating it into my work as a school teacher And into my work in terms of creating youth programs, Um, but with pinnacle moments, I think that um, it sort of feels strange to reflect back because it does feel like there's been quite a lot of change. But I was a very anxious person for a huge component of my life for most of my life, and um, suffered from anxiety disorders and. Um, a really unhealthy dose of perfectionism Um, very much an a-type personality and my yoga looked like that I was so disciplined Um, obsessive I think almost with the practice and didn't really use it to investigate those more subtle components that I touched on earlier around simplicity and patience and compassion Um, I think I was using it maybe in the reverse I was using it as a discipline and there was a harshness to that Mm. Um, yeah so I think that it's it's been quite a journey to soften that practice within myself and, and to realize that if I'm going to go out and and share these practices, I don't want to make anyone else feel like they need to be harsher with themselves. than they already are
0: Um, Mm.
1: There's so much of that in the world already. And yeah, so it's, I haven't thought about that for such a long time. So thank you for
0: asking the question, but it's, yeah, it's been a huge shift. Yeah, yeah. Mm, that's really that's really um insightful, and I think you know what you said there that really kind of struck me was um that you you realised a, a way that you were approaching the yoga was from you know kind of more of a a pushing striving kind of discipline perspective, and that along the way, and I'd love to find out when you realised this that this was happening. It sounds like you then found self compassion and then from that place is that where then you know the the trauma sensitive yoga and that you know that really nice soft compassionate place in which you teach because i've been witness to that does it come from that really deep place from within yeah i think i think it must you know it's
1: yeah it's interesting i've i mean i've had quite a bit of a loss in my life too i've i've lost loved ones and and friends along the way and I think that maybe the harshness was a, a, a way of protecting mm. and in my previous work working with young people it was in trauma-informed education settings and I found that I was pretty good at being compassionate towards people and I was yeah. pretty good at doing that to people I was working with and with partners and loved ones and friends but um, when I started to listen to my own internal voice there was this kind of, cognitive dissonance because what was happening inside was very different to what was presenting outwards
0: mm. and
1: yeah and i think that was starting to learn that i had an internal voice number one was quite shocking yeah <laughs> yeah and you know that feeling when you and it often happens on the yoga mat i think for yeah. people when you're in this heightened state of awareness and you notice that you're talking to yourself yeah. and that the conversation is not particularly kind
0: yeah. and
1: parts of yourself sort of show up there that can be shocking and surprising. Um, Mm. And I I think I was really interested in that and I I wanted to work with that and explore that. Um, Yeah, and it it took years. (laughs) It's still still ongoing, you know. (laughs) I would love to say I've perfected it. But I think that trauma-informed practices and compassion practices, they're just one and the same. Yeah. And I think they should maybe both just be best practice in how we approach all things that have a healing capacity Mm. that that should just be maybe the way we do it
0: yeah 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 beautiful and um in terms of you starting to notice the way that you were talking to yourself um you know was that through the work on the mat with yoga or were you also doing other things that helped you have that heightened sense of awareness and realization
1: Mm. Um, it was absolutely through yoga I think as an initial discovery and then um, through other forms of counselling and support as well where you start to look at your own internal thought processes but um, for me it definitely was an embodied experience and I think that the first time that it happened where I realised this conversation was happening I I didn't just feel it in my mind I I felt it in my body Mm. and then I realised the interconnection between those things that Um, you know negative thoughts have the capacity to to feel negative in your body and in yourself and and that we're so subtle energetically with that Mm. Um, yeah yeah definitely an embodied way
0: yeah lovely and um in terms of you know you mentioned um having feelings of anxiety and things like that did you find that as you became closer to what the thought patterns were and working through that, did you find that you were able to um, release some of that anxiety or at least, you know, come to um, a more settled place?
1: Yeah, I think so. And it's, I mean, often if I share with friends that I used to have an anxiety disorder, they don't believe me now, which mm. I, I find fascinating and they find fascinating. Um, mm. But it's, it has been a, a long journey and I think that, the main tool for me throughout all of that was breath and movement. And Mm. um, I know that there's a bit of a push away from the physical practices of yoga for some of us in our community and a a move towards more mindfulness and meditation, um, which I also find really useful. But there's something for me about moving energy through my body and having a movement practice and a breath practice that that really works well for anxiety. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I find those to be very powerful tools.
0: Mm, great. Mm. And let's talk about, um, you know, the way in which you teach yoga, because um, what I really resonated with was it, the practice that I did with you. It was, it was slow. It was felt. Mm, the words that you used and the way in which the energy that you brought to the room to guide the class was... Yeah, like something I've not experienced from any other teaching. Um, and um, I think, you know, for a lot of yoga teachers, there is, um, and this is something that I personally feel is there's a pressure to, you know, bring more to the class, you know, make it more creative, make it more exciting, make sure other people, are they sweating enough? Are they getting enough out of it? And so it can become, um, you know, and I get so stuck in my own head and I have to pull myself out of this place when I get there, because it's not, um, for me, what I truly love about yoga, it's not that. (laughs) Um, And I find that I'm getting caught up with a pressure um, and probably a creative pressure to be like that um so did you find it um either difficult or you know what process did you go through to kind of really find your your voice I suppose um in terms of the way that you bring um your teaching out into the world Mm.
1: yeah I think there's definitely that that pressure to perform as a teacher Mm. and um I've thought about this a lot because I think that as soon as we enter the performative mode, mm. there's this kind of shift in power dynamic totally. um, where we become separate from the students and it's it's almost like we could be on a stage or there's, mm. you know, there is this separation. And I'm really interested in breaking down that power dynamic and um, acknowledging that I don't have all the answers. In fact, mm. I have no answers. <laughs> yeah. And I can't see inside someone's body or their mind or their heart and mm. I can I can maybe offer a little bit of what I know but um, I'm really interested in the space becoming perhaps more explorative um, mm. rather than directional yeah and um, I think with within that there's maybe a space for asking questions and encouraging inquiry and sort of layering in some of those mindfulness teachings that we practice in our other approaches to yoga, but not so much to asana. Mm. yeah and it is it is challenging because I you know I do the same Claire sometimes I look around Mm. the room and I have this old panic that sneaks in and it's it's like no one's moving fast (laughs) enough and are they happy with what I'm doing you go into people-pleasing mode and um, I think that's just what makes us humble you know
0: (laughs) yeah 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 and it's interesting to witness as well because I think Mm -hmm. you know if you're teaching yoga and you're doing regular meditation and things like that you know you can the observer of all of that as well so you know when I'm teaching and I feel those moments of separation or disconnection and I then hear that voice of "Mm -hmm," you know fear or insecurity or whatever it is but then at the same time I'm I'm listening to it and then I'm seeing it and then I'm like back to work <laughs> just yeah. back to being present with your students and serving <laughs> yeah. oh, we're all just humans aren't yeah, we fumbling our way through <laughs> yeah it's an interesting it's an interesting thing though because I think um before teaching I never realized <laughs> that
1: yeah yeah oh it's such a unique experience to teach yoga and mm. i mean when i compare it to teaching high school <laughs> where mm. it is entirely different energetically and you know yeah. there is this there has to be some kind of power dynamic to keep things moving that i think when we are holding space for people to move their bodies one in potentially in a way that makes them feel vulnerable or that brings up things that they weren't expecting or Um, potentially in clothing they don't feel particularly comfortable about. A lot of people Mm -hmm. have discomfort just about coming along to class. Like there's so much tenderness in that and um, we have to, I guess, create a safe container for that exploration, Um, yeah, in respect of what people are putting themselves up for when they come to class.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. And it kind of comes back to, you know, why do we teach? Why do we hold the space for people, mm-hmm. you know, and that this practice is inclusive and for everyone from mm-hmm. all walks of life. Um, yeah, beautiful. And um, so, you know, with your teaching and, um, you know, the community work that you do has, um, you know, the yoga um, teachings and, you know, the way that your practice um, has been incorporated into your own life, you know, has that really had an influence in the way that you were teaching in the schools and then also, you know, within the trauma um, work that you've done? Mm.
1: Yeah, I think so. I I imagine so. I think that um, and maybe in the reverse way too, that the trauma informed training that I've done and the, Um, I guess learning to work within different settings when I was a teacher and and working as a youth worker and those kinds of things has informed my teaching practice Um, so I think that there's I I feel really blessed to have had teachers from a range of different disciplines um, that are that have kind of supported me to arrive in this place that I'm in now Um, and when I go out into community settings or I'm engaging in trauma sensitive work or trauma informed work um, I think that the more traditional teachings around compassion like the quote that you read earlier mm. as well as the trauma-informed more formal disciplines support that so it's really been a coming together of those two sides
0: mm. yeah mm. yeah great, great and um you know what what practices do you incorporate in your life on a daily basis that really support you to show up as your best self or your true self um and um, help you to find that kind of um, centeredness? Mm. Um, I think that my daily practices have,
1: have softened a lot over the years. They used to be yeah. compartmentalized and I would have a 5.30 uh, morning practice every morning in oh, wow. practice and I would sit in meditation and, and I would sort of compartmentalize the yoga and the meditation and then I would go to work and I, and I would have the rest of my day. And over the past few years, I've been really interested in integrating so that there's this sense of interconnection and my morning practice is shorter and later in the day and Mm. I find that the sensations that I feel on my mat because I'm practicing in this trauma-informed and compassionate way, um, I mean, it's fine-tuning those neural pathways that then enable me to be trauma-informed and compassionate when I'm moving through my day. And I think for me that's the really fascinating part of this very ancient practice that has potentially huge benefits for healing in a range of modern contexts is that whatever we repeat gets stronger and mm. I could repeat headstand every morning and potentially perfect my headstand or I could repeat kind and compassionate practices and eventually that just becomes maybe the way that I engage with the world. And, mm. yeah, and so that those sorts of yeah, those neural those neural pathways and that idea of positive neuroplasticity um, has become more of my daily ritual. And I find that if I'm feeling a little bit off or anxious or stressed, then that's what I come back to. And I usually integrate that with breath or movement. So it might just be some gentle stretches or breath that act almost like a mnemonic tool. So they remind me that when I make those movements or breathe in that way, I come back to that neural pathway. Um, yeah and so that's sort of what it's becoming at the moment and it might change
0: mm, mm, so interesting you know what you're saying around um you know recognizing you know looking at that quote that we talked about the simplicity patience and compassion it sounds from what you're saying is they're you know they're super important to you and then you've created a life whereby you you're, you're embodying them yeah, I'm hoping
1: to. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's always, a, yeah. and that's why I love the name of your podcast too, is this sort of process of becoming and, mm. and yeah, and practising that self-inquiry along the way. Um, yeah, it's mm. a, a slow,
0: gradual integration. Yeah, totally. And it's, <laughs> yeah, it, it's a journey, isn't it? It's Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for sure. Um, and um, And, you know, what you were talking about before about the, the questioning, this inquiry, it's so fascinating. Um, you know, I I work with clients um, in a, in a co- coaching capacity and, you know, I don't have the answers. <laughs> um, I use inquiry and um, the power of inquiry that I've used in my own life and also with co- clients is so transformative because... We've got the answers within ourselves. (laughs) It's just asking the questions to help us to realise that. Would you agree with that?
1: Absolutely, yeah, 100%. And I think that, I do, I think self-inquiry is so uh, fascinating as well in that respect because once we learn how to ask questions internally, um, yeah, our our lives shift Mm. and our perspective shift because, as you said, we sort of have this wisdom within us. And then recognising that wisdom and leaning into the power of that wisdom too can be very empowering. Um, Yeah, so, yeah, I'm a big fan.
0: Yeah, yeah, great. And um, have you found that through the work that you've been doing and the practices that you've been employing that you've um, gained a closer relationship with your intuition? Oh, good question. <laughs> um, yeah, I I
1: you know what, I think so, maybe. Um, it feels it feels like um and I'm conscious too in saying this that you know everything shifts and changes and there's no there's no kind of um end end point or somewhere that we arrive and it all magically comes together. But it does feel like there's been this sort of softening and um, sensation of arriving um, into a place recently in the last couple of years. And I wonder whether that's through inquiry and it's that I don't find myself in so many challenging situations anymore, perhaps either because I know how to direct away from those or that when I arrive in them, I may be responding in a different way to the way that I might have. Um, Yeah, so whether it's intuition or it's this sort of practical process of inquiry or and also, maybe to use a yogic word, it's perhaps those two things leading towards dharma. And when you mm. feel aligned with dharma, things sort of they do they do feel like that. So, um, yeah, all the I guess dharma inquiry intuition mm. um, a pretty powerful combination.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah. And that leads me to the question of what a whole life means to you. What this concept of living in wholeness.
1: Mm. I think probably to come back to the one of the things that I mentioned um, earlier on, this idea of living within a, a framework of social justice or social change, um, and I think that so many of our yoga practices, they're internal and um, they can feel somewhat self-serving as we're learning them and we're finessing our relationship with ourselves, and I think that's potentially the necessary first step is to start with yourself, And in doing so, once we become softer or kinder or more intuitive in that space, I think that there's this huge potential to then connect with others outside of ourselves and perhaps have some kind of positive influence on our society. And I think for me, this idea of becoming whole um, should be available to everyone, Um, not just me as a privileged middle-class white Western woman, but this should be something that everyone has access to. And I know that has a myriad of manifestations for different people. And the part that I'm deeply interested in is those people who don't have the kind of economic or social or cultural capital that I do. Um, how can our society shift to be kinder and more compassionate so that we all can access these sorts of practices? And I think that's what wholeness maybe looks like to me is that it's there for everyone.
0: Mm, that inclusivity. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. So let's talk about state of being. Um, so um, that's your yoga and mindfulness not-for-profit organization. So where did that kind of come from and where are you taking it?
1: Mm, um, it kind of grew from me just working on my own, um, going into some familiar settings that I, I used to work in um, when I was a school teacher and youth worker and sort of exploring yoga in those contexts. And through that exploration, different contacts of mine reaching out and saying, I heard you did this program with these young people in this place. Do you think you've got capacity to do it here? Um, And finding that the work far um, out, reached my capacity to do that work. Um, And so I approached one of my dear friends, Alice Hobday, who is also working in a similar space, and we decided to come together to create an organisation so that we could potentially support other people to do the same. Um, And at the same time that we started the organisation, we began this amazing training um, that has been pretty transformative, I think, for both of us, which is called Trauma Centre, Trauma Sensitive Yoga and it's a US-based training that's a 300-hour advanced trauma training, so it's pretty heavy going. (laughs) Yeah, Um, but it has just really shifted both our internal practices and our work with the communities that we go out and and service. So um, we're now working not just in youth contexts, but in a range of different trauma-informed settings um, and seeing if we can start to bring some of these practices into healing settings. Yeah, so it's really exciting and it's growing and it's young and there's you know there's bumps yeah. along along the way and all of that sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, it feels like there is a huge need. And um, mm-hmm. when I think about the kinds of people who come to a studio class and and you might have the, the same experience when you're teaching, mm-hmm. yeah, we're all pretty similar. Mm-hmm. We, we all have our, our own issues and our own things that we're working through, but we come with a certain... Um, level of status in society that enables us to access things, and um, it's just so interesting to work outside of that small slice of the pie and meet yeah. the bigger slice that aren't partaking in studio
0: classes. So, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. And you know, that's that's one of the things that you know I think is it's so wonderful about what, um, yourself and Alice are doing is, you know, really bringing the community, um, together and, you know, bringing different yoga teachers um, and like-minded people together to band together to, to help on this mission. Um, to make, you know, yoga more accessible to people who don't necessarily have access to these, these beautiful practices that we fortunately do. Um, So I think that's, you know, an incredible thing as well, that you're you're also bringing, you know, a community of people, like-minded people who want to serve in that way.
1: Mm.
0: And so many people are interested, which Mm. is
1: the best thing about the Melbourne community is I think there is this deep interest in seva or service, as as Mm. we call it, um, amongst us as yoga teachers and there Mm. is a desire to do this work but um, I think it's important too to feel connected through the work because... Mm. Um, burnout is a pretty serious issue um, energetically for a lot of teachers, but also mm. for people working in the community space. So, taking care of ourselves whilst we're taking care of others is uh, a really big part of the work, too, I think.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I have a question on that for you because um, I'm not sure if in your yoga teach training they did um, talk about this or cover this off, but it is this aspect of self care and protection of our own energy when we are serving because you know whoever we're teaching you know people are coming from all different backgrounds different traumas different things that are going on and if you are sensitive then it's easy to kind of take some of that on I definitely found it within myself is there anything that you could recommend for teachers Mm-hmm. who, um, and particularly maybe new teachers who haven't quite kind of worked so it, you know, a way in which they can protect their own energy but while still serving um, from, you know, a heart place.
1: Yeah, and I think I learned this one the hard way and I'm probably still learning it if I'm being honest because mm-hmm. I struggle with it as I think a lot of us yeah. do who are empathetic people in yeah. having firm and consistent boundaries. Yeah. And I, when I first started teaching, I would find um, that people would stay back after class for a really long time, or I would be constantly responding to emails and Facebook messages and phone calls and text messages. And my boundaries were not clear enough so that I don't, I don't think I made it um, obvious to people that as well as engaging perhaps with them, I was maybe engaging with 20 other students as well. Yeah. And that that is exhausting energetically. Um, and I think because we're interested in helping people and supporting them on their journey, it can be uncomfortable to put up firm boundaries around the work that we do. And so what I've done in the past few years is start to develop a little black book of contacts and I have um, psychologists and counsellors and mindfulness-based stress reduction teachers and osteos and massage therapists and people I can recommend Mm. that others see who I have the skills that I'm not legally in a role to share with the people who are coming along to classes. Um, and I think it's always nice to refer onwards if someone has a need. Um, and then also to remember that all of those contacts in your black book, are you supporting yourself with those? Mm. So when you say to someone, maybe go and see a physio or an osteo for that injury, mm-hmm. are you doing that for your own injuries? <laughs> yeah. You know, are, yeah. You doing this? are we practicing what we preach, not just about yogic living, but also self-care?
0: yeah yeah Yeah. for sure for sure and it's getting that alignment isn't it it's like constantly checking in with ourselves it's like we're teaching yoga and we're talking about these principles and things but are we really doing the same ourselves Mm, you know or you know are we serving um in the yoga community and running around like a crazy person you know stressed out Mm, (laughs) and not looking after (laughs) ourselves not eating properly and these types of things because um we can't give properly when we're exhausted ourselves
1: yeah it's the irony of yoga teaching
0: isn't it It's, it's a really interesting one yeah for sure um and let's talk a little bit about um Ayurveda. Now I know that um, Ayurveda, you um, you've trained and studied um, overseas um, in Ayurveda. Um, can you tell me a little bit about how you incorporate um, Ayurveda in, into your own into your own life? Mm. Yeah, really. I mean, it's
1: it really is the, the sort of framework that I use for my for my health now. It works mm. for me. Um, in many different ways. And I think that for the same reasons that everything else that we've been talking about kind of has a sense of synergy, um, Ayurveda has this wonderful way of describing difference and uniqueness within all of us. And I think that acknowledging the uniqueness of my own energy and my own life and, and where I'm at has enabled me to be really respectful to and in tune to other people's uniqueness. Mm. Um and so I find that knowing about my own prakriti, as we call it in Ayurveda or your constitution, has enabled me to create practices that are supportive of me but may look really strange to other people. Um, and I think that enabling that enabling capacity to, to sort of create something deeply personal is what works well for me. Mm.
0: And
1: yeah, and I think it really, for me, it works well within relationship too. Like, um, Alice being my business partner, um, has a slightly different constitution to me. And when she is, she's high Vata, which means she's highly creative, highly spiritual, a little bit of an airhead when her vata's too high <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and, so she's, and her nickname is AC Spacey and all these things just come together, you know? And so when mm-hmm. she's being a little bit spacey, I can be like, Oh, it's Alice's Vata. She's mm. not doing anything to, to frustrate me. It's her father, And when yeah. I'm being a little bit too driven or, or too focused with the business, she'll be like, oh, that's Joe's pizza. That's her drive. And mm. I think it creates a capacity to be compassionate towards each other because we don't expect each other to be the same. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that, I mean, it infiltrates everything from food to your thoughts to your meditation, to your yoga, It's this um all inclusive practice that I think really has no bounds depending on what you're interested in.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, um I completely um I completely understand and um and, and get that. I you know just through um my own work um and understanding what my dosha is um has really helped me to understand how my energy is and then understanding when my energy's going through the roof and it's going a bit crazy because I'm highly better as well so <laughs> if I'm ungrounded um, and you know my body does not like winter very much and so I have to ground even more and um because otherwise my energy goes straight to my head and I'm just I'm <laughs> about to fly away somewhere <laughs> Oh um, yeah. <laughs> whereas I never used to I, I noticed it I think I noticed it back in the day but i didn't realize that there it was a constitutional thing and actually i could do some things that could support that and mm-hmm. help me to ground yeah um and you know having that knowledge um and then having some practices that can support it and absolutely it's hugely helpful and, and you,
1: oh, sorry, sorry. You go. <laughs> <laughs> so even in a teaching capacity when mm-hmm. you realize that everyone in the room has different mm-hmm. constitutions and if you're a highly vatic person we tend to teach in a way that is pretty floaty and creative which might suit some people really well but may not meet the needs of others so is there a way of making your teaching um something that we call so that it can support everyone in the room um things like that really interesting
0: oh that's fascinating oh i'd love to know more yes. <laughs> so that i suppose brings us to um what programs and retreats and different things you have coming up because i know that you've been incorporating um some of the ayurvedic learnings into your your teaching so um yeah can you let everyone know what you've got coming up for the rest of the year Yeah, sure.
1: Um, So for teachers, we've done one of these already, but I'm running an Ayurvedic sequencing series, which will touch on a lot of the things that I I just mentioned about holding space and and what it looks like to teach classes, um, largely from a seasonal perspective. So starting to interweave some of these Ayurvedic practices into your teaching. Um and we've got one coming up on the eighth of April actually, which is well, your dosha, which is Vata. Mm-hmm. Um I'm Vata pacifying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then I've been running a student variation of this, so not for teachers but open to teachers too, which is called Mapping the Seasons, Mapping the Body, and it's very much an embodied self-inquiry-based seasonal practice. So we'll do a Vata Pacifying student workshop too. And that one I think is on, oh, I'll we'll have to check the dates. I'm pretty sure it's the 15th of April. Um, and then retreat-wise I've got one coming up in May, which is called Sadhana. And it's all about the interconnection of all things yoga throughout your life. That one's through Gertrude Street Yoga. Mm. Um, what else have I got? And then some state of being training and then a very exciting thing which I haven't touched on at all in this this podcast actually, which is um, a 200-hour teacher training course at the end of the year in November, which is in trauma-informed and community-based yoga with Melai Swan under her organisation called Yoga for Humankind
0: amazing that sounds incredible mm-hmm. mm, and that's um so that's a teacher training so that teachers after that training thing can go out into the world and be teaching from this place so yeah. the respect and the compassion and all of that for for you know the people that they're serving in their in their communities yeah yeah mm, that's it. yeah. yeah. Oh, fantastic well thank you so much um joe this has been a lovely. Um, uh, chat is been great to hear about what you're up to and what you're sharing with the world. And I just want to acknowledge, um, you for, um, for your honesty, your vulnerability and, um, and for doing what you're doing in the world. Oh, thank you, and likewise, likewise, Claire. Thank you thank so much for having me. <laughs> thank you so much. And what I'll do is I'll put all of Joe's um, details, her media, hang- um, social media handles, and um, her website details. And so she has all of the uh, retreats and workshops and all of that information all on her website. So do check it out. Thank you so much, Joe. Have a beautiful rest of the day. You too, Claire. Thank you. Thank you. And that's the end of another episode. I do hope you enjoyed it and gained some new insights. You can find more info about the show and my guests by visiting my website, claire-bradshaw.com, or subscribe to iTunes to ensure you don't miss an episode. And if you're enjoying the show, please give it a rating on iTunes, as this makes a huge difference in sharing the podcast and its content with more people. My dream is to create a happier, healthier, more wholesome world. And I truly believe that it starts with ourselves. So thank you for listening and have a beautiful day.